guys, welcome back to the Farming for the Future podcast. This week's episode was recorded on the outskirts of Copenhagen on a small scale regenerative farm called the Farm of Ideas. The Farm of Ideas supplies a whole host of restaurants, all of which are based near the centre of Copenhagen. Restaurants like Christian Puglesi's based, Mirabar Bakery and Jonathan Tam's recently Michelin starred Yakati. I spent a month and a half on the farm working closely with the wonderful Rosanna and Cecil, who you guys will hear in today's episode. The Farm of Ideas is a great example of the freedom small-scale growers can have when they have intimate working relationships with the restaurants they supply. This intimacy and shared understanding of how unpredictable farming can be allows greater autonomy for both chef and farmer. Take, for example, a whole bed of chrysanthemum being planted upon a chef's request in order for them to make a special syrup from the plant's flowers. Chefs, bakers and curious people from the Copenhagen hospitality industry often come volunteer on the farm on their days off, which just goes to show both how important and possible it is for chefs and growers to forge communities within the restaurant and farming space. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Rosanna and Cecil for teaching me and inspiring me. In today's episode, we talk about their unpredictable journeys into growing, the issues of fine dining and why education is, once again, so important. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to everyone who has reached out to me so far about the podcast. Your feedback is always appreciated. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So, Rosanna, welcome to the Farming for the Future podcast. Thank you very much. Um, Would you like to kind of introduce yourself and uh, where you work and what you do? Yes, so my name is Rosanna and uh, I come from Italy, but I'm working in a very nice farm in Denmark, in uh, just one hour outside of Copenhagen. And uh, well, at the farm, we're not many people. So Mm -hmm. what I do, it's a bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, You know how farm works. Uh So we don't have uh, specific roles. We just do everything that's needed. And uh, our farm is like a small scale uh, regenerative uh, farm. And we are connected mainly to one restaurant or a group of restaurants but uh, then we also sell to a couple of other restaurants in Copenhagen so every day we drive out to the farm work harvest and deliver back to the restaurants and right now I've I'm interviewing you while you are pruning Mm -hmm. cucumbers yes can you explain Mm -hmm. what that kind of what you have to do in order to do that yes so with the cucumbers you basically do exactly the same that you do with tomatoes maybe somebody is more familiar with that so um, what you want to do is after you've been planted you planted them and then after a few weeks they start they grow they're a little bit taller and then you start seeing some shoots coming out between the main stem and the leaves and those are basically like new shoots kind of like new plants and that would take a lot of energy uh, out of the out of the cu- cucumber that is trying to make flowers and then eventually fruits so pruning them means we are removing all of those uh, extra stems. Yeah. So by nature, both tomatoes and uh, cucumbers have uh, like an indeterminate grow growth, so they will just keep growing and like making new branches and grow very bushy. Mm. We, for farming uh, reasons and for uh, uh, yield, we want them to just grow one main stem and make as many fruits as possible. That's the goal. Eat a lot of cucumbers. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that you planted these cucumbers, I think, is a nice kind of segue into the farm of ideas, mm-hmm. which is the name of your farm. Yes. Um, as you, 
what I thought was quite unique. Do you want to talk through the kind of planting process that you yes. did with these? So, well, we, uh, we don't, at Farm of Ideas, we don't buy any of the plants. Uh, we, we make everything from seeds. So we've been, of course, sowing them. And then uh, when the plant is ready to be planted out in the soil, um, what we did was uh, first making the hole in the, in the ground. Uh, and then we filled it with uh, a handful of uh, uh, wool, like sheep wool. Uh, and that will uh, like keep uh, at the beginning like the temperature controlled a little bit uh, of the for the roots and then also humidity will help with the keeping the moisture and then uh, we also uh, put a little bit of manure that we got from a farm nearby to give extra nutrients to the plant when it gets in the soil and then we put the plant in and something interesting, I think, that we've been doing both with cucumbers and tomatoes, we use a system of strings where we hang them up on, at the top of our greenhouse and we wrap the, the, the first part of the string around the roots and mm-hmm. plant it directly in the soil. So that when the, the root system starts growing, it will tangle into the string mm-hmm. and secure it to the ground, basically. Which that makes sense, I hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, was, that was great to explain. Um, and you've so you've come to the farm through perhaps like untraditional mm-hmm. circumstances. Yes. Do you want to talk about how you kind of first began in the hospitality yes. industry? Mm-hmm. So I was uh, I worked in hospitality for many years, uh, mainly front of the house in different restaurants. I come from Italy, so to begin with, I was in Italy, and then I traveled quite a bit due to like the hospitality allows you to be very free and travel a lot. So I did that, but then I was always, always very... I knew that that was not what I really wanted to do. Oh, hello, Aww, Dexter. Dexter, <laughs> perfect. Yes, thank you, Dexter. <laughs> you stole the show, eh? <laughs> oh. um, should I keep going? Yeah, yeah, we'll keep going. Yeah, so... No, don't chew on the cord. Hey, Dexter. Dexter. He's got some ticks. <laughs> <Yeah>, okay. <laughs> Get away, Dexter. We, we don't want it. Um, yeah, so I've been doing that for quite some time, and uh, but I knew I always had in mind that I wanted to do this university, which is called the University of Gastronomy, is uh, funded by Slow Food, mm-hmm. and it's it's in Italy. It's in a, a town called Bra in Piemonte, and uh, so I always had that in mind, um, and I managed to get into a master course there about yeah basically food and sustainability so it was a lot of different things and I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do what was my path whatever I just knew I wanted to work with food and hopefully make it a better like help uh yeah I don't know just improve the food system somehow Uh, so I started that class and then soon I realized that what I can do better it's actually like working with my body Mm. in a way so I like to do physical jobs and then I figured that well eventually everything when it comes to food starts from agriculture so I was like okay why not trying to get into that yeah and um, so I did an internship in a pig's farm in the UK yeah and uh, but then soon I realized that maybe that was not exactly what I wanted to do like I wasn't sure I wanted to work with the um, with animals that much or like of mm. course they I would like them to be part of one day my farm but not only a, an animal farm yeah um, so then I thought okay then I would really like to try working with vegetables instead 
and uh, I grew up in the countryside in Italy and my family always had a vegetable garden so I think I have kind of by nature I'm a little bit connected to that yeah and so I came to Denmark uh, for some other reasons and then eventually I find the job at Farm Ideas so yeah that's a little bit how it went so I'm learning like I don't I don't have a background in agriculture so but that that's exciting because mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people I don't know if you've experienced this but agriculture and farming can feel like a quite like a I guess like a foreign language and it can be mm-hmm. quite daunting and a bit um maybe like there's a door that people don't have the key to kind of thing mm-hmm. do you feel like what would your advice be for someone would you say just try it just just like learn um, or definitely yes yeah but also like and it's what I'm trying to do and it's hard because when you have when you work a lot it's hard to find the time but like sit down and give yourself the time to read some stuff and like keep being curious and also ask a lot to the people that are around you that know better yeah and don't like to just always be very very humble and know that there's always other ways to do things and there's always more 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 to learn like in everything but i think farming is a great example of how we we really don't know anything about how plants grow yeah so like there's always different ways and there's always more to learn like literally every day there are new techniques coming up and new studies about how things are growing so i think yeah maybe just keep being curious yeah Yeah, that's very good advice we had this uh interesting conversation uh the other night about i guess because i mean the Farm of Ideas now supplies a, a Michelin star restaurant. Mm-hmm. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank um, you. But we had this conversation about how we can all agree that, you know, there is a, everyone should have access to nutritious food, which is grown yeah. on farms like this and is cared for and is, you know, made using kind of non-industrial methods. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really the reality. Nope. Why, A, do you think that is? And B, do you see any kind of solutions to that problem? Mm. I don't have the solution and uh, I do I do agree that it's it's a huge problem and uh, I just think that of course governments should help us in that and work work with us to like support more realities like ours mm-hmm. but it is true like you said that we are for example uh, selling to a Michelin star restaurant and maybe we're not like that accessible to everyone and uh, it is it is sad and it's very complicated but I think like ideally what I would like to do one day personally is maybe having like a market or something that would make it more accessible to Mm. people and uh, I don't think there is right now a solution to that and it's it is a little bit depressing but (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's uh, but I think if if we get the support that we need from governments and I think it's a lot about also education where yeah. people need to understand that this is probably the right the right way to do things and just understand how much food is related with environment which is something I think people like unless you are in this industry then you know but otherwise a lot of people don't get it yeah and if you could go back in time and mm-hmm. kind of give a younger self some advice about kind of entering this world and this sort of kind of, uh, I guess, business, what would you what would you say? 
Mm, maybe. Mm, okay, that's a good question. Well, if I personally could go back in time, I and I wish I had found out a bit earlier that I wanted to do this. Mm. So maybe I would put myself in a more like maybe in a farming school and now there are very interesting places that do that or maybe like you are doing I would start mm. just going around and looking like checking places and working a bit here a bit there just to get a little bit more the sense of what it is working in a farm so just I think my advice would be just go out there and just try out things and try yeah. to figure out what you really what you really like yeah and this is a question that I ask everyone, which is maybe a bit of a silly question. But do you think that we can save the world through farming? <laughs> um, I think to begin with, like, I, I always, I want to hope so. Mm. But also, what does it mean saving the world? Like, yeah. you know, the problem is, like, as things are going right now, the world is going to survive very well without yeah, us. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> the thing is, we are, the, the question is, do we want to save our species or like, do we want to save ourselves or not? Yeah. And then in that case, I think, I think we can. Okay. Yeah. I hope okay. So. Yeah. That's very positive. That's, that's a good answer. I hope so. <laughs> that's very positive. I mean, at least I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think we're going to disappear by the time I'm still alive. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. Um, and then some questions that I wanted to ask you about, I guess because we're in Copenhagen and mm -hmm. it's a really interesting, certainly I found it a very unique experience. I came here because I thought of it as kind of like the place to go if you wanted to learn about like food. And mm -hmm. so I thought a farm here would be really fascinating. Yeah. But I think you've had some interesting opinions about mm -hmm. that. What is your like, what do you think about Copenhagen and the food scene here? And um, I think for sure it's uh, very interesting, but at the same time, and not only when it comes to the food scene, I think. Mm. I think there's this idea of Copenhagen from outside, but also from people that live in Copenhagen, that it's such a green and sustainable city and everything, yeah. which it is under many aspects, but I think it's also like a big image that the city itself managed to build yes and then it doesn't go deeper than that in yeah. a way and also like people that live in Copenhagen like they I think they're all a little bit more aware of uh, climate change and environmental issues and whatever compared mm. to maybe in other places but then it kind of stops there yeah like people are not so interested in going deeper in the issue um, so I think it's a, sometimes a bit of a contradiction in, yeah. in my opinion and that contradiction, does that kind of also sometimes apply to like the farm to table restaurant model? I and mean, we've also had this conversation about yeah. kind of greenwashing yeah. and yeah. how that applies to all areas mm -hmm. of, yeah, of it definitely does. companies and food. And Yeah, I think it does. And there's very, very few restaurants, in my opinion, that are really trying to do things in the right way. A lot of them are very good at marketing themselves as farm to table and yes. green and sustainable whatsoever. So I think at the end of the day, there are, there's also another issue for me in Copenhagen, which is there are very few farms mm. that everyone, every restaurant in Copenhagen is buying from and are both big or like mainly big organic farms and, uh, and that sit and I feel like there's not space for other farmers to get yeah. out there because these few, like literally a handful of farms are just 
leading the market in in the city so yeah yeah that's interesting mm-hmm. that's very interesting and do you think what do you think is like the kind of the side of Copenhagen that people don't see that's a good question <laughs> uh just in, do you think in general or yeah I mean just kind of was there anything that came into your head when I said that and you thought <laughs> oh can I say that <laughs> um hmm Yeah, maybe it's not something that people really don't see, but the fact that, like, I don't know, maybe then, like, as a foreigner, for example, it can be a little bit hard to really feel home or, like, to completely be part of the culture. It's, like, it can be a pretty closed culture, in a way. It's hard to fully understand the dynamics here. Yeah. But that's more in general. Yeah. And so you, when you you work at uh, Mirabel and um, which is the bakery, and that you work front of house there. Yeah. And I've had uh, chefs or, pre- or former chefs um, who I have had on the podcast before, um, and they have compared farms to restaurants. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that analogy? Do you mm-hmm. kind of think it's a, a different sort of environment? Uh, I think in terms of its environment, it is different, in my opinion, because I have. And maybe we're also talking about this today, where, like, for me, the restaurants are very much the service. Mm. And it's very stressful and it's very, like, there's a lot of pressure on you when you're working, especially when you're in service. Yeah. Whether it's, like, farming, it's a completely different... Yeah, maybe, like, I would say not less stressful because farming, it's super stressful, especially when you're doing it almost alone. And it's... But it's a completely different kind of stress. It's not like that pressure that you feel when you're in the restaurant. Like it's more <laughs> a stress that you wake up in the morning and you're already like yeah. thinking about all the things you have to do. Whereas the restaurant, it's a little bit more, yeah, the stress of, you know, having to deliver something to people that are right there waiting for you. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it's quite nice because you kind of get to have the the perk of the kind of... Uh, yeah hospitality community without mm-hmm. having to yeah totally yeah yeah I really love this balance that I can have both because like for sure like farming is really what I want to do yeah. but I also don't want to completely let go of being in service and like being in in that kind of like you know the team when you're working at the restaurant is a family yeah and it's yeah and it's a nice a very nice environment i think that brings up a kind of uh, an interesting kind of anxiety that i don't know if people share this i definitely have it where mm-hmm. i kind of i'm so fascinated by farming and and to have a lot of people say like they their dream is to have a farm and to have that space yeah. but i think with that comes especially when you're young the slight anxiety that you're having to say goodbye to some extent to mm-hmm. to urban life or to communities. Yeah. And I know that definitely in the UK, a lot of farmers suffer with mental health because mm-hmm. they are so isolated. Yeah. Is that something that, that you kind of think about? or mm, I do. Maybe I have thought about it, but like like you were saying, like for me right here, it's, it's different because I still have both. Yeah. Like I guess I have perks of like both worlds. Uh, yeah. But... But yeah, for sure it can be isolating, but I guess it really depends where you're farming. And also, I also do think that farmers can build their own community. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm not worried about that. It's also because like what I would like to do in the future is not only having a farm, but I would love to have also 
maybe a restaurant on the farm. Yeah. So that yeah. could still maintain both both sides of, of that world. Words. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you. I appreciate your time. Well, of course, I'm, it was very nice. Yeah, I've loved the past, uh, I guess it's been like a month and a half. Yeah. Really? Wow. I think so. Time has yeah. flown. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. a pleasure to have you with us. Okay, Cecil, welcome to the Farming for the Future podcast. Thank you. Do you want to introduce yourself to the people who are hopefully listening? Sure, I'd love to. So my name is uh, Cecil. I am a farmer. I finished my farming training a little more than a year ago. And I've been with Farm of Ideas almost since then. So I have a training in... Organic farming, a little bit biodynamic, a little bit, and well, I haven't been in farming for that long, but I really like it. Yeah. Besides from that, I work on a school project because I'm really, really interested in the crossover between education and farming. I definitely want to ask you more about that project, but first, you didn't come from a farming background, so... What inspired you to get into farming? And how, how did you take the path that you ended up taking into education? That's a, it's a good question. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have never, ever believed that I would be here. I'm from a family that's like everyone has academic educations. And I thought that was what I was going to do as well. I finished high school and after a year I started uni studying education science because I really through my high school I got into democratic education and I thought that was really interesting and then I just I got really disappointed (laughs) by uni I had imagined this like amazing school where you could really like go into depth with what you were really interested in and go to new corners of your field and Mm. talk to interesting people and I just got really disappointed so I started looking for something else to do and that was a little crisis (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think we've Uh, all been there (laughs) yep Uh, I think a lot of us has been there and then, I don't know, I think we had a summer school on the, um, the school project that I'm working on. We had like a week with 10, 15 students and we just went to a lot of very cool farms and yeah, I don't know, the, the, um, the name of the program was Food Unfolded and I think it just... It opened, like the plan was to introduce a lot of students to food and farming and all that, but it also actually opened my own eyes a little bit, I think. And I met a farmer down in Lolland, where the school is, and just got really inspired by the work they were doing down there. And also got had a really big fascination with seed. Mm. I think, like in part because there's tactile and aesthetic like it's such a it's such a, such a great physical symbol of mm. 
the power of farming and the yeah. importance of farming. So that's kind of what got me into, like sparked this interest. And then I thought, well, I want to be a teacher. I want to teach young people about food and farming and like society. And then figured, why don't I take one year in a farming school somewhere in Norway? Because I'd heard about this really interesting school that mm -hmm. worked with biodynamic methods and because Norway is has the landscape it has, it's like it's been really, really hard to plow it all down. Mm. So of course they have a much more well kept tradition for small scale farming. Yeah. So in Norway, they, they have this great tradition for small-scale farming because that's like that's the kind of farming you could do when you have mountains. I decided, okay, it's maybe a, this is a great way to take the top off of my life crisis and I can learn something about farming at the same time, get an experience. So I went there and I planned on staying there one year, but it was an amazing place. So I stayed too. And it was still tough leaving. And what was the, the name of that school? It's called Sauten Jor og Hagebruk School. Okay. So it's <laughs> it's the the it's short J H is short for the school's name. Okay. Yeah. And did that kind of inspire you? I know that you were interested in education before that. Did that inspire you to kind of make the folk school? And can you explain what the folk school is to people who who don't know? Yeah. So it is a kind of school and it's that is usually people go there for half a year, a year, usually after high school to kind of spend some time and not being hyper focused on grades or doing super well in the school system. Like you go there, there are no exams, you don't get any formal qualifications and the different schools offer different programs. So the school that we're working on is a farm-to-table concept. We have a little bit of land that we're going to start a vegetable garden on and we're going to build a nice kitchen for classes. These schools have been around in Denmark and basically all around Scandinavia for quite some time now and they started as a way for farmers around the countryside to get in a way that they were like they got qualifications to take part in the democracy and it usually meant that the farmers would take time off in the winter to go to these kinds of schools to get schooled and then the concept has developed from there and now it's quite usual that young people go there for half a year, a year, and really dive into something that they wouldn't have time to dive into otherwise. It could be ceramics or theater or writing or philosophy, mm. whatever. And it's a chance to make education that's a little less focused on a super rigid curriculum and education that's a little more could say flexible. Yeah. The idea is that we can, we don't have to work with very strict disciplinary borders. We can work across disciplines and 
we can go where the process leads us. Yeah, okay. Kind of. So it's more, it gives more like flexibility and freedom. Yes. And uh, I think it, this way of, of educating this kind of didactic, it, uh, it really gives us an opportunity to work on sparking people's curiosity. Yeah. I think like in most places in the world, we have a very old school school system that pacifies people. You are a receiver and that's your primary job as a student. Yeah. We want to engage people and give them a feeling that they have agency and they can yeah. use that to make change. Yeah, that's yeah. wicked. And how do you think, how do we make farming both an attractive and a viable career for young people? That's a big question. <laughs> a very, very difficult question to to answer. There are a lot of things right now that make it difficult for people imagining a future in farming. I think one part of it is that in many parts of the world we are not willing to we are not willing to or we can't pay the price mm -hmm. that it costs to produce food in a regenerative responsible way and that makes it very very difficult to make a life to make a living as a farmer i think apart from that we also we have an educational challenge at least in Denmark, when you finish school, you are perfectly capable of analyzing a novel, but mm. you have no idea where your food comes from. Yeah. We kind of have this idea of educating people, uh, and the goal of, of educating people is to, to make them able to get greater educations or a greater jobs, and by that we mean more academic, longer, more theoretical, instead of practical educations. I mean, you don't, you don't learn how to grow food or care for each other in school. And I think it's, it's just very hard to envision doing something that you haven't been introduced to. Like, I feel like in school I was introduced to academics. I was never introduced to farming or practical work in general. And that made it inaccessible to me. And then there's, of course, there are a lot of things about access to land. Yes. That makes it yeah. incredibly... A big problem in the UK. Yeah. Incredibly difficult. And in Denmark, farms are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it makes them more accessible because no one has the money to actually buy a farm. Maybe apart from farmers that are already really big, <laughs> have very large farms and can take up loans in the yeah. bank, and, and it's not even profitable. I mean... So access to land, yeah, that's yeah. a huge problem in the UK. And I think especially because, I mean, how do you inspire a younger generation to become farmers when they don't even have the land to farm on in the first place? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also what's happening in Denmark. I think actually a lot of people had the same crisis that I had. Maybe they had it later in their lives. So maybe they did finish an academic schooling somewhere. Maybe they can actually afford a small farm. And they get into farming. And I mean, it's, 
it makes it, I think, less desirable to start early. Mm. You don't really see the option of just going straight from high, from high school into farming school and then becoming a farmer. Yeah. You kind of need to build capital before you can actually get into farming. Especially with regenerative farming, because at least in the UK, I've, I've tried to go down kind of traditional educational routes and a lot of the of the schools or the universities that I found are rooted in industrial agriculture. Yes. So it's it's really difficult because it's that's why the folk school is fantastic because mm. it, and I think that is slowly starting to happen. But if you haven't grown up in farming and you don't know where to start, it can yeah. be a really really daunting kind of complicated journey. I, and I think that's really I mean that is it's basically what we want to do. I want to both I want to inspire young people who think they might be interested in farming but don't really know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. And then I also want to educate the people who are going to be future consumers or take part in mm. in farming in other ways that, than being the farmer or support the local farmers. So what advice would you give to young people who are interested in the world of kind of food and farming? but don't know where to begin that journey and also don't know necessarily if they want to commit to that career as well? That's a, it's a really good question. I think, think it really, it also really depends on where you are mm. in the world. But, but I guess a really important piece of advice is if you do it, do it with someone. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And try to find someone you you trust because it is a huge challenge challenge and also when you're working with trying to work regeneratively a lot of questions come up a lot of insecurities mm. and i think we are yeah we're building the road as we walk so it's just it's important to have someone to support you and to support in those kinds of situations I think beyond from that I think it's very I think it's very important to get off Instagram once yeah. in a while yeah. just um, be really really intentional yeah. about what is your goal like what do you want to achieve with this because that makes you able to prioritize Yeah, and I think a lot of people they go into farming and I think also I did it in part myself mm. imagining like this going from a zero to a hundred in no time and I think a lot of people end up breaking their necks yeah. on it and I think actually you can learn a lot from the permaculture principles getting a little bit inspired by this idea of moving a little bit slower Mm. observing yourself and the landscape a mm -hmm. little longer before you make permanent changes and that can also be in the sense that instead of buying a farm you find somewhere to rent some land and you test it out figure out what works for you and just get to know this kind of work yeah. before you make really big investments or buy infrastructure that you find out that you don't need or that you don't like, try to go a little bit slower. And I think for me, it was from very early 
maybe in part because I was trying to prove myself, I got very interested in this idea of becoming a professional farmer. Yes. Like this, if I was to be a legitimate farmer, this needed to be my main income in my profession mm. and my identity. And I think, I think it's important to be a little bit critical yeah. of that because that's not what determines if you're making the change that needs to be made, if it's your job. I think like our economy has a really strong force in only validating the activities that are part of our economy and growing vegetables in your backyard is not part of our economy if you just supply yourself, your family and your neighbors. Yeah. But it's also really important and it's, t it's super valid yeah, in yeah. spite of not being part of our economy, not creating growth, whatever. What advice like, would you give to a younger you if you could go back in time? <laughs> that is a good question and a difficult one because I want to end up still in the same place that I am now. I think it took me a long time to get here mm. compared to other people I met who know that they wanted to farm from very early and I just think that I wouldn't have gotten here if it wasn't for all those twists and turns. I think a really good advice to myself would be to work with my own intentions. Prioritize a little more time instead of just rushing out there trying to get as much stuff done in as little time as possible. Mm. Being intentional about what's important for me mm. would have made it much easier for me to make enlightened decisions mm. and much easier to also prioritize my own well-being because that would and is when I do evaluate my values that is one of the things that it's really really high up on the list I think it's very very it's very easy to yeah. down prioritize yourself but we we want to last a really long time and I can get super worried when I look around this movement and see how hard people are working because that's that's it's kind of the way you can make it work is if you want to be regenerative if you want to make money then your only flexibility is yourself so people stretch really 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 far and I'm worried about where this particular movement is going to be in 20 years in Denmark interesting what's your concern my concern is that people burn out I see okay yeah that or lose their lose this really beautiful pure interest in this field that I feel like people have right now do you think because that's a concern that I've had as well is that regen agriculture is is a fad mm. I saw George Monbiot who is a British uh, journalist mm -hmm. I saw him talk at a festival in the UK I think a couple of weeks ago now and he said something where he said you know we used to call it grazing and now we call it regenerative grazing yeah what do you think about that way of looking at it and perhaps the kind of fashion aspect of regenerative agriculture 
Hmm. I think it's very, it's very complicated. They're both really good sides and bad sides. I think right now there is something that I'm a little bit worried about is this huge misuse of the word regenerative agriculture for greenwashing mm. and this also obsession with uh, new technologies mm. like mm, the idea of yeah all the all the answers to these questions are somewhere in big corporations mm. because I think for me the core the core in regenerative agriculture is is that we actually have all the answers to this we just gotta learn how to do it and yeah. the soil life is like the life microbial life it's everywhere it's not about putting it in the soil buying some really really expensive agent from a big corporation putting it in your soil it's about changing our practices because we need to make the soil an inhabitable place for these microbes and but apart from that i actually think that all as the news factor of regenerative agriculture has gotten a lot of young people into into farming because it's been a reframing of what farming is yeah exactly. and also interesting yeah. that it's i think a lot of women yeah, yeah. are part yeah. of this movement maybe people who wouldn't have become farmers that's interesting otherwise i wanted to ask you and rosanna that about whether you do you feel that you've had to face any obstacles being a woman in the farming world? Good question. I have nothing big, I would say. I think, yeah, I, I think some of the obstacles faced are both due to inter internalized sexism and the socialization that mm. I've had. I don't feel like I don't feel like I've mm, I've met this kind of like this idea of prototypical discrimination. Yes. Anyway, yeah. but I think there's something in our societal structure that made it more inaccessible for me to learn how a tractor works. It's funny. Um, something that I've encountered a lot. Because actually, a lot of the work that I've that I've done, I've worked mainly with women, mm. which has been great. But I also find that, and I think when you said internalized sexism, I find it quite hard to describe myself as a farmer. And it's funny how you were saying that when you first started farming, you felt like you had to be a professional farmer because yeah. I feel like I haven't earned the kind of I'm still too green to say that I'm a farmer. So yeah. often, when people ask what I do, I say that I'm a grower. Yeah, because it feels like a more feminine way to say it. Yeah. I think also, and maybe especially in Denmark, I don't know, we have, there are a few different synonym terms that people use. And I would also almost never describe myself as a landman, mm. as a farmer. Yeah. I would also describe myself as um, maybe something that's synonym with a grower. Or I think that's also because when I think about a farmer or 
in this case Lindman. My associations are completely different from something that I want to be. Exactly. It's yeah. Also because yeah. I think we are also in a process of building a, like a new farmer identity, a new way of being a farmer mm. that's less about upscaling and less about sitting in a tractor. So in, for me that also is meaningful. It's not only a sense of not being like not a sense of this identity this landman farmer identity being gate kept for yeah. me it's more a, a sense of wanting something else but and i but i yeah. i think that that being in farming school you witness these dynamics when you're in a bigger group with all kinds of genders you see these dynamics very very clearly like when when you're asked who wants to go in the tractor i think some people are just quicker to respond than others yeah i understand that and we had an interesting conversation the other night about again which i've also spoken uh, with rosanna about which is the kind of perhaps the greenwashing side of farm to table mm. and how it's all very well and great to have like these really you know we're in the polytunnel right now I can see uh, is it called a black tomato over there yes it's a it's the variety is called indigo rose indigo rose oh, and it's and it's beautiful <laughs> it is and I definitely wouldn't I wouldn't see that at the supermarket and no. you wouldn't see that served at most schools and definitely not kind of your average restaurants no you would see it presumably at based or at cat I never know if I say that mm. restaurant's name how do we make you know this really great nutritious food available to all members of society and not just the people who can afford to eat at these kind of very fancy restaurants I think that's it's a it's such a big question that we need to just keep thinking keep working and I have thoughts about it but mm. I think it's also very important to say before I share those thoughts that there's not one solution. Yes, of course. We, and we're not going to plan a solution and just do it and then it's fixed. You need to really take into consideration your context. But I think from my perspective, it's like the way that the supply chain and farming, the way it's that's all structured is... It's just so tightly connected to how the rest of society is structured. I think, I, I mean, we need a proper revolution to make that work. Because right now, I, like, I want to try to make a living out of this because I want to become a better farmer for the future. Mm. And I think we need that. I want to teach people who will become future farmers. But I think... It's really, really important to keep, I'm just very, very aware of the fact that I am not feeding the people who need it right now. I am, I am feeding people who can afford to spend quite a big amount of money on eating out. It's a pretty small percentage of people who would 
prioritize that. So, so I think it's just, and there's just, there's something about how our lives are structured. I mean, most people, they don't have the time that, or the energy to go to more than one place to get their groceries and yeah, what they need. I don't see it happening in a world where we have so little time. I think like li living regeneratively or sustainably or what you want to call it, it's not gonna <coughs> it's not gonna happen until until we have more time because I don't have time to fix my own clothes. I don't uh, have time to go to the dairy farm to get my milk and to the vegetable farm to get my veggies and maybe to a tailor to get my to get my clothes fixed when I don't have time myself. And it's difficult because if you did have that time, that would come from a immense like position of privilege. Yeah. Like to have time mm. is is to have a is, is, is privilege and yeah. it's sad that I guess that's capitalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you have money, you have yeah, freedom. Exactly. But I think it's, yeah, that's what I mean by a revolution, like work needs to look completely different. We need to slow down mm. so much. Yeah. I guess that's quite a nice um, segue into my final question that I ask everyone. Do you think that we can save the world through farming? Yes. You do? <laughs> <laughs> I think we can be part of saving the world through farming. Okay. But I think it's also really important to... I want to say both yes and no. Because I think I'm a little bit worried about this narrative about yeah. saving the world. Yeah. That either it all goes to hell uh -huh. or we fix it. Because it makes me, it makes everyone apathic. Yeah. Apathet apathetic, apathetic, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, because there's no way I'm going to save the world. And I mean, what's in between? Mm. If you don't have faith in saving the world, which honestly, I don't have at this point. Fair, then fair enough. No, <laughs> no point in doing anything but I think it's just so important that our point of departure is our local context and, and how we can contribute in good ways how we can regenerate the things that we can regenerate because I think if we always have that helicopter perspective of fixing it all saving the world I don't think we're going to get anywhere because it's too big a task. Yeah. It's too big a, a question. It's too much to figure out. We are globally, like in some pretty big crises. Mm. The climate crisis is overwhelming. But I think for me, it's really important to think about also, okay, this is happening. I can do my best to contribute in the ways that I can contribute. But I also, I allow myself to feel sorrow mm. over the things that are gonna go lost and the people who are gonna 
lose their homes and then mm. I I think about okay some things are going to change but do I want things to change in in a way where these people who are gonna become refugees are also fleeing to a country like Denmark that's super racist and moving in a semi-fascist direction. I think there are just so many, I don't know, we just, we really need to think about not only fixing the problem, but also think about how we can contribute to the world we are going to live in. Just making it better, not making it good or perfect or everything we want, but making it better for yeah. the people around us. I think that's, that's very well put. Well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. I really appreciate it was your time. Pleasure. Thank you so much to Rosanna and Cecil for having me for so long on their farm and for letting me interview them and for showing me Copenhagen. As always, a huge thank you to Alice for sound design and everyone who's got in touch about the podcast. Keep an eye in and an ear out for next week's bonus episode. Thanks, guys. See you soon.